Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Daily Dose. Today on the Daily Dose, we're going to be going over the Rockets' trade rumors of basically shopping all of their role players in plans to get Jimmy Butler from the 76ers, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and a weird trade they tried to pull off over the last day, as well as Kevin Durant opting out of his $30 million contract for the 2020 NBA season, as well as the NBA going over new rules and regulations, finally going over a preview of the France versus USA women's soccer in the World Cup on Friday quarterfinals. Houston Rockets, yet again, are putting Clint Capella, P.J. Tucker, and Eric Gordon all on the trade block individually in hopes to receive a first-round draft pick good enough to get the experience and specifically late-game ability of Jimmy Buckets or Jimmy Butler on the Philadelphia 76ers. They don't include Clint Capella in the deal. I would imagine they would have to put P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon together to get a pick good enough to get Jimmy Butler. But if they could get a team to take someone Capella's contract, it would probably just be Clint Capella for that draft pick, which would obviously be probably what they prefer to do moving forward. Though I do believe that Jimmy Butler would have a very good season and career on the Houston Rockets. I, one, believe that's way too many personalities between Chris Paul, James Harden, and Jimmy Butler. As well as, I believe similar to what the 76ers attempted to do last year when they got Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler and trade away all their depth, the Houston Rockets find themselves in a situation where they already don't have the required depth to make a deep playoff run. And in order to get Jimmy Butler, because they don't believe they could sign him to a lucrative enough deal to get him to sign in free agency, they would have to give up even more depth and really leave themselves very bare bearish in that regard very vulnerable late in playoff runs and just in the playoffs in general they're going to find themselves struggling to find any contributions from guys like austin rivers michael beasley you get the point just guys who honestly just shouldn't be playing in the playoffs regardless but would be forced to based on either injuries like other years or even if they're healthy just simply they don't have enough depth I believe the reason we know this will not work is because we, this, we saw the 76ers, excuse me, draft guys like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, which put them in a situation where they could get Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris and pair them together to add depth and talent at the same time, whereas a team like Houston has not drafted well enough or really had the picks to draft the players, so they find themselves in a situation where they can only get Jimmy Butler, can't add a Tobias Harris as well which is, I think, a really key factor to why the 76ers were one game away from the NBA Finals and why the Houston Rockets were nowhere close. A bit of surprising news in the NBA landscape. A report has come out today, in 26, that the Minnesota Timberwolves offered a sign-and-trade deal to the Brooklyn Nets where they traded the rights to Andrew Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell. Deal reportedly never got off the ground, big shocker there, and we can easily see why. 
whereas D'Angelo Russell is 22 to 23 years of age and was someone who was doubted at a young age and proved a lot of people wrong. Wiggins is almost a complete opposite in someone similar to Zion-type hype at the time of his draft. Maybe not quite Zion, obviously, level, but a lot of hype coming into the draft and a lot of expectations were placed on him due to that fact. And although Andrew Wiggins has shown a great ability to score the basketball, averaging at least 17 points every single year in the NBA since he was 19, saw him regress in a really key year this year in the 2019 NBA season, which really hindered his development. He only averaged 18, actually a little under 18 points per game, which is far lower than the 23 scored just two seasons earlier. His efficiency and shooting percentage was only a 41%, which is the lowest of his career to this point. His three-point percentage was only 30%, which obviously isn't taking anyone taking anyone off guard, but is certainly we expect more improvement from a shooter like Andrew Wiggins. At least, I mean, at this point in his career, it should be much higher than 30% from the three-point line, no doubt. Well, as he only averages a piss poor two assists per game, which is just too low regardless of what position you are. I mean, if James Harden can average seven assists per game, anyone can average seven assists per game. I mean, there's just no excuse. Angelo Russell is also proven to be much more valuable and a consistent and hardworking player, whereas Andrew Wiggins is constantly getting questioned on work ethic and if he truly does love the game. Well, as I believe Brooklyn doing a sign-in trade would show they saw no chance in retaining D'Angelo Russell, which wouldn't make much sense as Brooklyn is the place where he, you know, they gave him the keys and really trusted him to take over their franchise, and he did so. So it just, it wouldn't make much sense for them to see they didn't have a chance and to close the door on someone like D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins, who's going to be paid $28 million next season, which is just, I mean, that's ridiculous. Glad to see that Minnesota is still doing Minnesota things, and that thankfully... Nets were not fooled by that and have much better front office who just didn't even let the deal basically even get past the phone call, which is good to hear. Quickly just circling back to that Jimmy Butler going to the Houston Rockets deal, I want to go over the real true reason that I'm so upset with the rumors that Jimmy Butler could go there and exactly why they're not learning from their mistakes and what this shows us as NBA fans. Daryl Morey, excuse me, after a very disappointing season, and obviously the injuries to Chris Paul the year prior, decided to give Chris Paul and Clint Capella both really big contracts, and has now found himself, as we've spoken multiple times, with the most untradeable contract in the entire NBA, or at least that we've seen in the last five years, undoubtedly. Answer to making all these piss-poor decisions and, you know, obviously making two quick snap judgment calls, it, it appears to make another snap judgment call, Getting someone like Jimmy Butler, who is obviously very valuable and good to have on your team, but is someone who was reportedly multiple times, similar to Isaiah Thomas a few years ago, wanting a max contract coming off of a year that he just simply does not deserve a max contract. If they did this, not only would they have no depth, which I mentioned before, but they would have three max contracts who are all 28 years old plus. One of them being way overpaid in Chris Paul, which really limits what you can do. Why this is, is so important is because nobody, and I mean nobody, wins a chip or goes far in the playoffs without a full team. 
with three max deals that's about 130 million dollars that you're already putting towards next season and future years you can have about a max of 200 if you want to go over 220 of the luxury tax that leaves you very little room to work with and to really invest in your future similar to what the lakers did last year when they didn't want to spend a bunch of money they would have to add guys like michael beasley's and lance stevenson's and as i said prior there's just too many personalities already so adding guys like this would really cause a problem. Not only have the Rockets found themselves stuck, but are yet again avoiding the inevitable and just not trying to move on from this situation that obviously isn't going to work and get them a championship. And I believe their hard-headedness and willing, willingness to give up the future for the present will cost them not only in the long run, but they might even lose James Harden in the long run. I mean, it could be very costly. Jimmy Buckets aka Jimmy Butler shows that they have also not learned from it and are going to continue to make the same mistakes which really surprises me as Daryl Morey just a year and a half ago is considered to be one of the best GMs and by many still is considered to be one of the best GMs in the entire league. Hey, Kevin Durant opted out of a 30 million dollar contract and honestly I just want to take a step back and realize how talented and how blessed you have to be to be able to opt out of a $30 million contract coming off of one of the worst injuries, if not the worst injury, you can get as a basketball player and know you're going to get even more. I mean, Kevin Durant and honestly, every single NBA player is just so blessed to be able to do what they do and to get paid for it as well. I only believe Kevin Durant opting out tells us a lot as fans, and I believe we can definitely look into it a bit, and I believe the sweepstakes has officially begun. I believe the Nets are certainly in the lead as they're going to get Kyrie, I'm almost certain of it. And the Knicks are just a little bit farther behind because if he does go to the Knicks, he could definitely define his career and make people love him again, which he hasn't been since he left OKC. I believe if he is still immature and cares about what people's opinions and how they hold him, like in what regards they hold him to, I believe he will end up going to the Knicks then, if that's all true, because that would be the right place to right his wrongs for going to Golden State. But if he wants to continue to be the bad guy of the league like he was in Golden State, it would make a lot, a lot of sense to go to somewhere like Brooklyn, who already kind of has that mentality and will have Kyrie Irving. He's obviously very talented. The Nets have the most cap space in the entire league and a bunch of flexibility unsure of exactly what Kevin Durant is going to do. If I had to guess, I would say he's okay with being the bad guy of the NBA as he's been it for a few years at Golden State. And I would say he joins Kyrie on the Brooklyn Nets, mostly because of their 67 available million cap space, but also just because of that bad boy mentality. NBA and executives have been discussing a fewer, fewer NBA games in the season. As low as 58 games in the season has been discussed. That would mean that players are healthier. Defense would actually be played on a consistent basis, we hope. Every game would count and would give more importance to the regular season as a whole, certainly. Although don't get too excited because to no one's surprise, it seems very little backup from execs has been given on the uh, decision whether or not to limit games. People believe this is being brought up because of injuries like Kevin Durant where we're going to lose him for all of next season and the awful injury to guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. 
only being added with that would be a in-season tournament, which seems like a crazy idea, but definitely cool to bring up. The idea would be to replace some of those games with a tournament of some sort, but this obviously confuses me because it would, I mean, it would take the same amount of energy to get through the season. It just wouldn't be regular season games. It would be in a tournament style. So I guess maybe the teams that were really on top would maybe not be in the tournament or not care as much and be able to rest their guys, or I'm not really sure how it would work, but it's definitely an interesting idea, and I believe lowering the games in the season is something they should seriously be considering and seriously do. The Jimmy, Going back to the Jimmy Butler discussion, the 76ers are confident not only they can bring back Jimmy Butler, but also Tobias Harris. Both of them were on one-year contracts when they traded for, traded for them. Now going to be NBA free agents in the coming week. Mostly due to the fact that Houston can only offer about $140 million to Jimmy Butler, whereas they can offer around $190 million, which is obviously much more enticing. Honestly, I just think they have a better team and more security uh, with guys like Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler really trying to go and strive to get rings. As well as their, they were extremely close to the NBA Finals with that exact team, so it really does make sense to run it back. The only thing that worries me is I do believe that Jimmy Butler is the type of guy who thinks of uh, kind of a mentality of what have you done for me lately, and he remembers and is going to remember the 76ers coming up short and wonder why things will be any different next year. So that definitely makes me think he definitely wants to go to Houston, but I think if the sign-in trade wouldn't work out, that he would be more than happy to stay at the 76ers and get that $50 million extra. I mean, no one's, no one's complaining about an extra $50 million, year. Well, $50 million a year, right? A report came out in the NBA offseason about the Boston Celtics being the dark horse to receive Kemba Walker from the Charlotte Hornets in free agency. After a debacle of the Kyrie season, I believe the Celtics are looking for something much more stable and a really home guy, someone like Isaiah Thomas who is willing to share the ball, but is also a killer in the big moments. I believe it will be hard, a bit hard to believe we could convince him to come, only because of the uncertainty with guys like Gordon Hayward and our young players. But once we renounce the rights with Tara Rozier, we can throw a bunch of money, about $34 million a year specifically at him, which could definitely entice him, as well as our talent and potential. The C's are so interesting is because we are so active in this year's NBA draft, which has really allowed us to continue to add to our depth and our young squad. And it would really be the talent that Kemba Walker has not only always wanted, but just really deserved to have. And it, it's, there's just not many teams other than I can think of like the Pelicans that have as much young talent and depth as we do. So he wants to be on a team where he can finally not do everything and you know be shooting 30 times a game then Boston's definitely certainly the place to go as well as, you know, his championship aspirations will definitely be met here as well. On to the college football and basketball. The NCAA is expected to pass guidelines limiting transfer athletes waiver eligibility. So exactly what does that mean for college players? We know most of us, and it's a very hotly debated topic right now, that we are wondering whether or not the NCAA is going to be paying players and if they're going to be doing it in the future, as we all believe they do deserve it. The NCAA has responded by tightening the grip on transfer students and eligibility 
and causing them and their teams to have more control over the athlete's career. Basically the exact opposite direction of what most of us were hoping they would go, and it's really unfortunate to see. Specifically, the well-respected and well-spoken analyst Jay Billis tweeted out roasting the NCAA in, quote, transfer restrictions are not based upon principle, but simply to deter an asset moving. Clearly, athletes are employees, dot, 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 with no com- compete clauses disguising as transfer restrictions. Quote, Billis did a really good job bringing to light how ter- terribly the NCAA is dealing with this matter and attempting to cover up and make it even harder for a lot of college athletes to leave places that they're not comfortable with or maybe not getting the minutes they'd like. And it's just really sad to see that the NCAA, after all that we've talked about and all that people have gone over, still seem to not get it and still seem to not care about the bigger picture. Last on the NBA front, Marcus Saul is staying with the Toronto Raptors after winning his championship this season for $25 million on a player option. He shot his highest three-point percentage, 44%, since 2015 season, which is pretty amazing. He is 34 years old, still a good defender as he has won Defender of the Year before. He's just, you know, a player who we're going to start to see similar to like Dirk Nowitzki just starts to lose his legs and his ability to keep up, which I do believe Pascal Siakam will do a really good job of helping and in a way disguising what he lacks. This is good for Toronto, and he's obviously a really big reason why they won, but he did have his lowest points per game, 10 points per game, which is concerning. But like I said earlier, his shooting stats still show that he can shoot the ball. And his field goal percentage and free throw are still high. So it shows that he can be effective. But I just wonder, you know, if there's better places to put your money and if Toronto is going to end up regretting it. It's, uh, it's still one of those things where it's like you got to pay him to reward him for the great season and postseason that he has had. And it's only a one-year deal. So you can't be too mad at it, obviously. And positive news regarding the NCAA and paying college athletes. The state of California is close to passing some legislation that would allow their athletes to stay that are in state to be paid. This would be the first state that has done anything like this. A really big effect on forcing the NCAA and other states to take a really hard look at this. And hopefully the states change it themselves because the NCAA clearly does not care enough to do it. Them to do it. Fortunately, the bill would not be going into effect until 2023, which is why it's still Best news, but definitely a step in the right direction, unlike the what the NCAA was doing today in strict in tightening um, transfers. It's like California, which constantly seemed to be on the up and up and the first one doing it, are trying to make it right and do the right thing. Expected the NCAA responded to this bill with opposition and doing what they can to stop it. Gotta love it. I mean, just what a great organization. You know, when something like this comes up to try and block it and do everything in your power to make sure it doesn't happen. Just shows what great people are a part of that organization, no doubt. Apparently, the NCAA intends to ban schools in California from competing in bowl games and postseason tournaments as a result of this, which is, I mean, that is just blasphemy that they can even think to do that, let alone really might do that. Obviously, California needs to rethink this now that the NCAA has come out and said that, and I believe they probably still will go through with it, hopefully. And honestly, I just hope they do, and 
show the NCAA we don't care what penalty we have to take for a little period. What you're doing is not right, and we're not going to stand there and just take it. But not least on the Daily Dose, I just want to go over the France and U.S. quarterfinals. That's going to be on Friday the 28th. Things to know about the matchup at the Women's World Cup. This will be the only this will be only the second time the two sides have met against each other in the World Cup. The other time being that the US won 3 to 1. From um, 1991 to 2019, the US women's soccer has reached the quarterfinals every single year, which is pretty amazing in the World Cup. And the only other team to do that would be Germany with 8 times in a row, which is obviously amazing. Things about both sides, the USA has played 14 matches and other than three draws has won every single game, not dropped a single one. USA's Megan Rapine, I'm not sure how to pronounce that to be honest, has been directly involved in 12 goals and has been really balanced in scoring six goals and six assists, so being effective in both regards. And we are 17-3-3 all-time against France, but before you get too excited, Nine of those games against France have been four wins, three draws, and two losses. So although 17-3-3 sounds really nice, two of those three we've dropped in the last nine, and three of them have been draws out of the nine. So, you know, it's obviously always been good games as of recent, as France has obviously really come on strong, winning the men's World Cup as a whole, and just doing really well in this tournament as well. Women did have a really bad group in Nigeria, Korea Republic and Norway. Norway is still in it, but the other two are just not really even close to their skill level, so it wasn't much of a um, much of a challenge or a warm-up for a game like the U.S. Not even close. U.S. is plain and simple, more talented, and we score almost double what France scores. So our output, I mean, our output on a bad day is probably as good as France's output on an amazing day. France does have towering center back Wendy Renald, who is one of the most dangerous players in the world on set plays, having already scored two of them in the 2019 World Cup. They are extremely talented from set pieces as a whole, as they've already scored five of them in this World Cup. U.S. has talent all over the pitch and a leader in Hope Solo, who is the goalkeeper for the U.S. side, who does a great job of keeping us in check, although I could use without the random videos of her telling the the opposing team what to expect she does before every damn match. Well as Rapine and Alex Morgan to account for, which is some serious offensive firepower. Do believe the US plays how they played against Spain, which is they're gonna hold possession, shoot at will. But the difference is, is that what we didn't do against Spain is we need to convert on our finishes and we can't rely on PKs and just weird calls to get us through these kind of matches. If we do play this way, I do believe we will win by multiple goals and it won't be close, but if France's strong defense keeps the games close, the U.S. could find themselves on the wrong end of history for sure. This has been the Daily Dose and specifically the Rene Report. I appreciate you listening and feel free to leave your comments and concerns down below. Thank you and peace!